You're listening to the Catholic Accent Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss the acts and miracles that Jesus performed that stunned his disciples. Today's topic, Pentecost. We're here in a locked room. For 50 days. <laughs> For 50 we haven't days. lost any weight, surprisingly. I just brought change of clothes. That's why I'm wearing different We're shirts. still sometimes. waiting for the fire. <laughs> so to that point, the disciples have themselves locked in the upper room for 50 days when the time for Pentecost came. Why were they still so afraid? Well, they might have been waiting on the Lord to tell them exactly where to be led, what to do. And so for 50 days, did they have enough food? Like, I know that some of them went in and out. Like Thomas wasn't there at oh. one point. So I'm sure that there was some movement, but very carefully, right? They weren't all out because still they were seen as this group of rebel rousers, you mm-hmm. know. So they were still hiding. They were still hiding, you know. They had code names and stuff for the door. Yeah, like that's why Peter was the rock. <laughs> <laughs> he he sat by the door. He and didn't Thomas was in. called Didymus. <laughs> <laughs> so the first signs of the Holy Spirit are a noise like a strong wind and tongues of fire, which rested on each of the disciples. Then all of a sudden, these these guys, these uneducated men, are, are able to speak many languages. What do all these symbols of the Holy Spirit mean? Well, Jordan, maybe we should ask you back to your time of confirmation when the bishop asks these questions before he imparts the the sacrament on now, you. We, we can't take it back if you get it wrong, so yeah. you're okay. But I don't, I don't remember the bishop being there. <laughs> Well, we might have to look into that one first, see if that's valid. I don't think I knew who the bishop was. I have to think for a moment. Um, but uh, what are some symbols of the Holy Spirit that you remember? I know fire. Um, what was it like talking something something with language? Common right? language. Common yeah. language. Mm-hmm. Um, and a dove. And then there's something else that I can't remember. The wind. Wind. wind yes. Okay. And the cloud, right? The pillar of cloud that led them through the desert. In the Exodus, and then we see the cloud at the transfiguration, signs then of, of course, the Holy Spirit, the dove at the baptism of Jesus. And at the Noah's Ark, the dove. Right. But one of the interesting things, too, is this common language that they're all speaking at Pentecost is something that really, like, shines through in this, this passage. Why? Why common language? What does it have to do with anything? Well, of course, God wants us to be of one mind and one heart. And in some sense, that's language that we, that we share in common. But go the whole way back to the book of Genesis. What happens whenever the people take things into their own hands and they want to build this great tower? What's that tower called? Babel. Babel, right? Like Just ba- like the like app. Ba- like baby Babel. Yeah, baby or Babel. the app Babel. Because they're like... Right, because it's named after they, at that time, could understand each other all in the common language. And they were building literally this tower in a way that was to siege the gates of heaven. They're trying to overtake God and heaven by their own will. And then we're told that God scattered them and he confused their language. And that's where we get the great idea of the Tower of Babel. And so Pentecost, now coming back into the spirit of God. And in his unity. And in the unity, gives common language back to the people. Now not working as adversaries or enemies to God, but rather what Christ says, which is, I came to make you a friend of God, to be in the mission of God the Father. So the the crowd, when they're speaking these languages, are accusing them of being drunk, right? They are. And then Peter, my 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 guy Peter, he refutes the claim by saying, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Like, how could they be drunk already? <laughs> and he wasn't in Margaritaville. Yeah, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Peter begins to quote scripture to the people. And so why is Peter so engaging with the crowd? Well, I think he's carrying out Christ's mission already. Because we're, you know, Jesus told them, go and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
And part of that is that missionary reality and the reality that he learned at the Last Supper of service. So immediately he's taking by God's strength in the Holy Spirit, and now he's being able to live out the call of Christ in his life, just like each of us are called to do. We're not called to only be in the church for Mass, which is the most important thing we can do in our life, but at the end of Mass, it's go, and those doors open, and we have to go out. And in going out, that's when we're able to live out through the strength of the Holy Spirit this great gift and share God's love and mercy and conversion and forgiveness. So how can we be engaging today? I I think in this way, Peter's standing up for the truth of the goodness of the church and what's happening, Uh, and to show people the spiritual fruits and goodness of what the church is doing really engages the world. It's not that just we're going to Mass on a Sunday and we're hunkered down in our churches, but people can look around and actually see the good work that the church is doing in the world serving those that are underserved, you know, feeding those that are hungry, going out into communities that are not our own to really assist them and aid them in their time of need. But I think Peter is so engaged here as well because he's kind of taking the the forefront of defending the church in a way and defending the truth and the goodness of the church as he is uh, the first pope. You know, mm-hmm. that was what he was supposed to do that Christ charged him with. Uh, so these men who have been so afraid for such a long time, 50 days, now they're going out and proclaiming in front of everyone the resurrection of Jesus. They are sharing the gospel in a clear and direct manner. They are calling people to conversion. Why was their message so attractive? Well, I think we have to think about, you know, what the, in philosophy and even in theology is called those transcendentals, the good, the true, and the beautiful. And those three realities are what allows a person to see God's goodness and in his creative power in the world. And so the hallmark of good preaching is that it has to be true, it should be a beautiful, eloquent reality, and it's good, it's good. And so they're sharing the evangelium, the good news, the gospel, and they're doing it in a way that's both attractive, but also calls people to a challenge. Everyone likes a challenge. You know, if we keep oftentimes... It depends. Well, you know, <laughs> nobody wants, like, Jordan, if if I want you to get more active in the church, and I'm like, here's a lollipop, and now you're going to heaven, you're like, okay, great, thanks for the lollipop. Uh, I see what you're but saying, But if I'm yeah. challenging you to change your life and really work hard, then it becomes attractive. Mm-hmm. And these people would have seen the apostles walking with Jesus, and they would have seen them almost as like a group of bums who were fighting with each mm-hmm. other, couldn't understand, you know, didn't know languages, a bunch of fishermen... And now there's something different about them. And the same thing happens to us when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit first in baptism and then strengthened and renewed in confirmation, that something in us changes in a way that gives us the power of God in our own lives that then we live out. And I wanted to like just break in there as well. Why was it attractive? Because they were witnesses. So St. Pope Paul VI, he said that people in our age listen to witnesses, not necessarily teachers. It's important to be a good teacher of the faith, but you have to live the actual thing that you're teaching. And if you don't do that, then there's a, a breaking up of the congruency of mm-hmm. like the message, and then people don't really want to live that out and, and, and find it. But you saw these guys that like they gave everything to follow the Lord, and they were still doing this even after their Lord had been killed, and they're going out into the world to preach this message even at the cost maybe of their own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did it to their own witness and in yeah. their own shedding of blood and death. So it was so attractive because they were so excited, because they witnessed, they believed, and 
they were ready to get everybody else on board. They wanted more mm-hmm. people. They had. And people saw a peace that they had, even in the midst of struggle and difficulty. I mean, this was not an easy life to have, but they had a true peace. One of the great lies of the, the ancient world at this time was called the Pax Romana, the peace the of Roman Rome. peace, yeah. That Rome, by being in charge of all these different regions, brought a peace where there wasn't war and all these other things. That might have been true in some sense, but there was still oppression. And no morality. And people were oppressed by this great fa- false peace of the world, and Christ came to usher in the true peace of God, which is bringing nations together, not because I'm going to stomp you into the ground if you don't listen to me, mm-hmm. but rather out of love and understanding. And that's when the great persecutions of the Christians started to begin then. The Romans thought, well, if we just kill them all and torture them in public, then people will be too afraid to join them. But the opposite happened. And the more that they persecuted them, the more Christians joined, because they saw this faith that they were willing to go to their death for this Jesus guy, singing to their death. Mm -hmm. And they were totally filled with God's Spirit, because they knew then they knew the resurrection, they knew the bodily resurrection, and that by their unity with Him and in the Holy Spirit, that they too would return to the Father. And so really everything that they, even today, the church, the Christians across the world are the largest denomination of believers that are persecuted worldwide. And yet we're still here, we move forward. We have more modern martyrs, martyrs. than in the history of the church. Like in the last two centuries, there's more martyrs together than in the previous 18 centuries of the mm-hmm. church. Wow. People don't realize that because we live in the United States with a lot of freedoms here and so forth, and not religious persecution, but you go to different places in this world, especially in the Middle East, and oh, there are absolutely. a lot of Christians who are killed for their faith. Yeah, I think it's like 1% in the Holy Land is still Christian. Still Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, so did it work? Did did the disciples... God always uh, works. Did the disciples get people to join when they went out and started talking like this in different languages and saying all this stuff about Jesus rising from the dead and everything. Yeah, very much so. It was wildly attractive, it seemed, in the point that 3,000 people were being baptized just in the midst of this instance at Pentecost and then far beyond. Um, That doesn't mean that whenever you don't see massive amounts of people that you preach to getting baptized immediately Mm. or coming into the Catholic Church or something that you're failing. That's not necessarily the case. But the Lord will work as long as you're willing to work with Him. And you don't know even the seeds that you plant by just being outgoing in your faith. How often do we go to restaurants, restaurants, my brothers and sisters, and we don't even make the sign of the cross before we eat something? Because somebody will look at us a weird way or give us a side eye or whatever it will be. I wear clerics for almost all of my public encounters. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think like it would just be easier not to like put my clerics on today and just go in, in anonymous clothes. That's not living the gospel. No, We're out there so that people can witness and see us witnessing to our faith. And from those small things that you don't even have to say a singular word to a person, you might change their life and they might actually start thinking about Christ again in his church. The other day I was in an elevator and I got in and I was in my clerics and this kid said to me, I've never seen a priest. Are you a, pri- a real priest? <laughs> you know, and it's it's as simple as that. And um, but I think also you were trying on a Halloween costume earlier. <laughs> nah, it's not October. Is what, is what he thought. <laughs> <laughs> but if we see the success of the apostles and of those early Christians, but now it's also our task to continue that. And it's not the task only of priests and religious sisters and brothers or bishops. It's the task of the laity to live out their Christianity 
in the world because they're the ones in the world, in the workplace, in the schools. And if they're not willing to witness to Christ, then this doesn't work, you know? So how can we make our witness exciting today and attract others to join the church? By listening to the Catholic Accent Podcast. (laughs) I think knowing your faith, which hopefully that this entire podcast series has been for people, Mm -hmm. is coming to know more about Scripture, our faith, and why you should be really excited about it. I think sometimes we think faith can be very shallow, that uh, we already kind of know everything we went through catechism or this or that, but uh, I think that that's not true whatsoever. As I've looked more and more into the faith, it's a deep well that continues to bring up great riches as I delve deeper into that great font of wisdom. And from that, it, it excites people. Why do we do what we do? Be able to explain that to people. But then beyond that, just go beyond where you're comfortable. Break out into new areas where you haven't been, maybe. Go down to a, a soup kitchen and help there if, if that's not been one of your experiences. You're called to be a well-rounded multi-dimensional Christian. And it's a personal relationship with Christ. We hear that so often. And sometimes people think it's too hard to become personal with Him first, right? But we don't worship a dead God. Our God is alive. And because of that, we're the only religion that has a living God that we've encountered and we've seen His face. And that's what really is exciting. And I think that's where if people are looking for a way to get more involved or to begin to encounter Christ, and maybe it seems like it's too hard or too difficult to go to Christ first, well, start light. Go to the saints. Make friends with the saints, because they're already with God in heaven, and they're going to walk with you and lead you to Him. Go to the Blessed Mother. She'll take you right to her Son. And when you see Him and encounter Him, everything changes, and everything around you no longer matters except for the joy of the gospel, and to bring others to encounter Him and see that love. And always be careful to look at religion and say, well, it's things I have to do, it's obligations, right? That's not love, that's not a relationship, that's not going to last long if it's like, I just have to do this thing because I have to do it as a duty. It has to move beyond that. In the Gospel of John, we hear from Jesus, this is one of my favorite quotes, that I came to give life and to bring it and give it more abundantly, Mm -hmm. right? And do we really believe that? that religion, a relationship with our God, gives us more abundant life, or is it just begrudgingly we have to do it because we got to get to heaven that way? And, and that, that doesn't inspire. The, and that life comes from the Spirit, because later in Scripture here, it's the Spirit who gives life. And we see that happening here in Pentecost, where the Spirit comes and gives life to the people. True life. Not the life of the world, but the life of God. Ushered in the Ruah, right? The, the great and Spirit. The great Noima, breath of yeah. God, yeah breathed into us to give us life a life everlasting thanks for listening to the catholic accent podcast don't forget to follow like and subscribe to our show that was, that was a good ending <laughs> life everlasting but i i do hope that people you know listen to this podcast like you were talking about father andrew and father chris that they enjoy it it excites them and engages them and they go out and do acts of service and they want to come back to see, you know, what we're talking about and, and, and everything. Yeah. They came for the three handsome men, but you know, they, right. They, well, maybe people aren't even watching. They don't know. They don't, <laughs> they don't, they they don't know. Grace. Yeah. <laughs> well, next season we'll hopefully we start bringing some guests on and well, what I was going to say is hopefully people like this and we are told by Bishop and others to, to come back. Hopefully they. Hopefully we're not canceled after one season. Contract. <laughs> Actually, just one episode. They're like, you know what? We got to take these down. <laughs>